Our gospel reading this morning is the gospel according to St. John, chapter 1, verse 1. John, chapter 1, verse 1. Let us hear the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Praise Christ for his glorious gospel. Let us pray. Ever-present God, gracious Father, who from the womb of the Virgin Mary brought new life to all humanity, grant to us your Holy Spirit, that hearing your word we might receive it by faith, and thereby be born again, born from on high, and so be your sons and daughters for eternity. Through Jesus Christ, Son of Mary, Son of God. Amen. You may be seated. It's that time of year when the whole world celebrates the birth of Jesus. Some celebrate it by going to church, some by singing carols, some by baking treats, some by, baking, uh, by decorating a tree. Some celebrate Christmas by giving gifts to family and friends. Some by getting drunk. Most people celebrate Christian in several, Christmas in several of these ways, and that is good, very good, except for the getting drunk part. The birth of Jesus was the turning point of history, and it is good that the world celebrates this fact, even if they don't know what they are celebrating. Christians do know what we're celebrating. We're celebrating God come to save us from our sin. The world knows how wretched we are. The wars, famines, sexual exploitation, pandemic. And the world grieves these ills. But the world always misdiagnoses the problem. The world blames our ills on capitalism or communism. Too much government, too little government, or bad government, ignorance of the deplorables or controlled by the elites, structural racism, wokeism, etc. From one decade to the next, solutions are railroaded through which, at best, solve a few problems while making others worse, and at worst, increase the misery level across the board. What the world never understands is that the suffering of the human race arises out of the sin that is rooted in each one of us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that the divine 
line between good and evil runs through each human heart. But the world cannot grasp this, or doesn't want to, for it is a truth too painful to bear. If the problem with mankind is mankind itself, there's no hope. So the world grasps at what passing pleasures it can find, and one of these is Christmas. It is fitting that he who came once to feed the hungry throngs should each year bring some joy to those who find little of it all the rest of the year. But for Christians, Christmastide is far more meaningful than fantastic food and celebration. We sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Christians know that this helpless babe was the help of the, that the world so desperately needed. And we rejoice that Jesus reigns over all the nations. The solution to government failure is the rule of Jesus. The solution to oppression and exploitation is the love of Jesus. The solution to poverty and lack of education is the wisdom of Jesus. Jesus has come to help us. And for 2,000 years, he's been making this world a better place. Praise God. But there is more. Christians celebrate the permanent, eternal solution to our ills. Sin, which is more than an act of disobedience, has been defeated. This innocent baby grew up to become the sacrifice which paid for all sins, all sins, past, present, future, so that we might be forgiven of our sins and escape God's anger. For Christians, Christmas is more than a worldwide celebration of the birth of the righteous king. It's the beginning of a personal relationship with the Almighty God. It's wonderful, it's necessary that sin be defeated, but it seems too good. It seems almost fantastic to believe that our sin, your sin, the awful things that you have done or thought about in your hearts, have been forgiven by Christ. It seems too good to be true that this God who came as a baby to rule is always with us to protect us and comfort us. For Christians, Christmas makes us giddy with delight, but Christians also miss the full impact of Christmas. We sang, what child is this? Yes, and that's the question that everyone asks. Every human being has to ask, what child is this? Who is this person that we celebrate? It's a pivotal question for every generation, and while many who celebrate Christmas give little thought, uh, at the moment who Jesus was, other people answer in a variety of ways. Thoughtful people everywhere recognize that Jesus is a, was a great teacher. Muslims consider him to be a prophet. Christians consider Jesus to be the Messiah of Israel, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Most people of all faiths think that Jesus came to make us good. That was the intended result of his teaching. That's what was expected of his prophetic ministry, that's why Jesus came to rule the world. In a world of violence, hatred, untold misery, darkness, what was needed was peace, love, harmony, light. And that's what Jews, Greeks, Romans longed for. And today, that's what men and women long for. Christian, Muslim, weak and strong, <clears throat> powerful, impowerful, only a handful of psychopaths truly delight in suffering. Most people want to return to the garden, even if their own behavior mustn't make them seem like they're fit for it. And since we know that God loves and blesses his people, 
we tend to think that he sent Jesus to end all strife and make us good. What a shame. Because that's not why Jesus came. And that's, that, that goal is too small for Jesus. Jesus came to do something a whole lot better, a whole lot bigger than to make us good. Jesus came to make us God. St. Athanasius said, The Son of God became man that we might become God. Now, Athanasius didn't mean that we become a a deity in in the way that the Mormons teach. Neither the church nor the scripture in any way suggests that created beings might become uncreated deities. That's not what Athanasius meant. Athanasius noted that in verse 12 of our gospel lesson, teaches that when we receive Jesus, we become children of God. And Peter talks about how we partake of the divine nature. If children of God, then we share in God's nature, although without becoming a deity. Now, when you woke up this morning, is that what you thought about yourself? Did you yawn and stretch and think, ah, wonder what a wonderful day to be a child of God? When you go to work or school, are you aware that you're a child of God in the midst of children of Adam? This is an identity issue, isn't it? If you don't know who you are, nothing about life makes any sense. Take Tom Brady, for example, quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When the opposing team loses the possession of the ball and the Buccaneer offense takes the field, how bizarre would it be for Tom Brady to stay on the bench? And you can imagine the the coach saying, Tom, get out there. And Tom Brady might say, well, coach, you you need to send a quarterback out there. You You can't have an offense without a quarterback. I mean, this is bizarre, of course. I mean, Tom Brady is the best quarterback in the NFL. Why, what, what would ever possess him to sit on the bench and act as though you know, that somebody else needs to go out on the field? It, he is the quarterback. He's the, and he, he's the one who needs to get out there. But you know, that's how Christians behave all the time. We act as though we need Jesus to return when there are millions, millions of sons of God walking on the earth now. We don't need Jesus to return. Jesus has placed children of God on the earth now. Now, Jesus will return, and he'll finish the work of salvation. But in the meantime, he's placed these powerful children of God on earth to continue his work. If you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. Now, that's not a command. It's not a goal. It's not a wish. It's a fact. You might look like the people around you, but looks are deceiving. When you received Jesus, God transformed you into a new human being before you were a descendant of Adam, and you possessed Adam's nature, a tendency to sin, a desire to sin, a love of sinning. Now God has incorporated you into a new race, starting with Jesus, and now you're a descendant of Jesus, And you possess his nature, a tendency to holiness, a desire to live a holy life, a love of holiness. Jesus came not to make us good, but to make us God, to reconstruct the human race into a whole race of gods. Now, some of you find this hard to believe. You look the same way you've always looked. You have the same voice, the same strengths and weaknesses. And furthermore, you do still sin. So how could it be true that we are a reconstructed race? Well, the answer is that Jesus is rebuilding our race while we are still in it. 
When we die, we'll be resurrected in perfect holiness, but for now, our old natures and our new natures overlap. And that can be confusing. It can confuse the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 7, he recounts how confused he was by his sincere desire to do right, but his constant tendency to do wrong. God is rebuilding each of us individually, but it's a process that takes a lifetime. So day by day, it can be hard to see the effects of God's work, but over decades, we can see God snuffing out our old old sinful desires as he recreates in us new godly desires. And through this process, meanwhile, you have your three enemies constantly at war against you. Now, Jesus defeated Satan and sin in the world, so they have no power. They have no power over you. Satan is completely powerless to cause you to sin. Your old sinful nature is completely powerless to produce acts of sin in you. The world around you is completely powerless to influence you to sin. You know, you know that, don't you? Actually, most Christians don't know that. That's why they keep sinning. They, they forget. Most, most Christians hear Satan whisper, that fifth glass of wine is irresistible. You, you, you just got to drink it. And they, and they do. Uh, and they, they, hear the, the, they feel the sin in them urge them to repeat some slanderous gossip. Uh, and they hear the voice of sin. It's really not that bad. Besides, that hussy needs to be taken down. Do it. Um, and most Christians hear the world call it, Joining, join us. Sex is natural and fun. It's unreasonable to deny yourself. And they can't resist. And that's what they think. But it's all a lie. It's all a lie. The truth is you can resist. Like a hologram, if you push against these lies, you find nothing there. You are the children of God. You are the people who live holy lives. You are the people who possess divine power. You are the lights who expose darkness of lies and drive them away. So why don't we? Why don't we expose the darkness? Why do we crumble sometimes in the face of temptations? Why do Christians so often act like much of the world around us because we forget who we are. There's only one reason why Tom Brady would remain on the bench when it's time to take the field. It's if he forgot who he was. He'll never do that, will he? But Christians often do that. We forget that we are the children of Almighty God. When it's time to take the field in the face of some darkness, we allow ourselves to be confused by Satan. The sin within us the world, and the world around us. We think that we can't resist the darkness, so we give up and cave in. It's a lie. The lie sounds so plausible, so beautiful, so wonderful, so irresistible. We forget that it's a lie. We forget that behind that beauty is a hideous evil. We forget that it will evaporate before our light. We forget, and so we give in. So what can be done? We need to remember who we are. Scripture can help us remember. One of the reasons why we should read and hear the scripture every day is so we'll remember who we are and won't be deceived by the lie. We can remind each other in phone calls, text messages, social media. Uh, you know, we might have occasion to remind each other that we're children of God. You know, we can, we can live up to higher standards. We can remind ourselves. Some of you might find it helpful to... Uh, 
post a note on your bathroom mirror or computer desktop above the sink in your cubicle, a note which might say something like, you're a children of God, don't be deceived by lies. Um, you will find that in time you have a stronger sense that you are a child of God and more aware of the lies that come your way. Now, there's much that could be said about the children of God, but this, this morning we're going to consider three aspects, three aspects of the children of God, presence, holiness, and power. First, presence. Did you ever notice in the Bible that when God is present, people take notice? Take notice. You can't miss him. When God appeared to Abraham in a smoking fire pot, he appeared to Moses in a burning bush, he appeared to Joshua as a warrior before the Battle of Jericho, he appeared to Isaiah in a temple, just to mention a few instances, and these were mind-blowing experiences. When God's presence is, 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 shows up, uh, everybody knows, knows, notices and they're blown away. Now, we're not God, you know, Athanasius said that Jesus would make us God, but we're not the divine creator. Um, so it's not quite the same, but we are the children of God. And when we enter a community, people notice. Our presence makes a difference. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And simply, simply by being present, we drive out the darkness and preserve our communities. Not perfectly, not permanently, but truly. The application to this is to stand up, Go out, engage our community in all sorts of ways, in work, school, business, etc. It's sad to see some Christians cower in isolation out of fear of the world, only wanting to hire Christian businesses, only wanting to be employed in Christian businesses, sort of circling, <clears throat> protecting themselves uh, uh, from, from the effects of the evil out there. But no, we are the children of God. Look, no one is likely to come up to you and congratulate you on your godliness. In fact, the world is more likely to persecute you for standing for your Christian convictions, but they will notice. They will notice and they will be influenced. Christmas is a perfect example of this principle. All sorts of people with all sorts of religions celebrate Christmas without even knowing who Christ is. Christians have had, have had a universal effect in that the whole world uh, celebrates Christmas um, now, you might, uh, you might in practice object to some immoral practice at work or in the government. Perhaps no one will pay attention. Business continues as usual, right? No. No, that's not the way it works. That's the way it seems. That's the way it looks. But in fact, your presence makes a difference. And even though people won't verbally admit it, your voice will resonate through the hearts and minds of those around you. And that's not because you have such a powerful or persuasive or, or, or love, lovely voice. It's because when God speaks, people listen. And you are a child of God. And when you speak, people listen. People will be changed when you speak. The presence of the children of God changes a community. Secondly, the children of God are a holy people. And this is because God is holy. Now, that no doubt makes sense, but is it really true? Struggle with sin, and some Christians seem to be losing the battle. The recent sex scandals in the church make Christians seem more like enthusiastic sinners than like saints. And it doesn't take much effort to think of Christians in your neighborhood who don't really seem very holy. Furthermore, those Christians who do seem to act, have their act together and never sin tend to act 
offensively self-righteous. Yes, you would think the children of God should be holy, but it sure doesn't seem to be the case. And besides, we began this message by saying that God didn't come to make us good. So now are we retracting that statement? No. Now, the reason that God didn't come to make man good is that it can't be done. Children of Adam sin because they want to sin. They like to sin. It's inherent to their nature to sin. You can't make them good. You can prevent individual acts of sin, but only by force, which is why God instituted civil government and gave gave the state the legitimate use of force. But when our nature changes, behavior follows. Children of God do good not by coercion, but out of a holy nature. Children of God no longer want to sin. They want to obey God. Children of God no longer like to sin. They hate sin and like doing good. Children of God are by nature inherently righteous. Oh yeah, you say? I know Christians who enjoy sin very much. They claim to believe in Jesus, but they sure have no desire to obey God. Well, first, some people who claim to believe in Jesus really don't. There are people who make fraudulent claims to the faith. Jesus himself said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Until Jesus returns, there will be imposters among us, but they're fakes. And they they don't invalidate the truth about real believers. And that truth is that everyone who believes in Jesus becomes a child of God. Now, some of you sitting here today might be nervously shuffling in your minds because, honestly, that wonderful description of the children of God might not fit you very well. You thought you believed in Jesus. You tried to believe in Jesus. You want to be a Christian. But truth be told, you kind of like sinning, at least sometimes. You you rather resent some of God's commands. Um, You might be thinking, am I a fraud and and not aware of it? Well, where do you stand with God? Well, the fact that you're here and you haven't left yet is an indication that you belong to God. We're God's God's temple here. That's who we are. This group of people is God's temple. Um, You're part of it. You're singing. You're confessing. You're listening. You're praying. You're eating with us. You know, true frauds can't endure God's presence, so they don't show up in church, or if they come, they leave. True frauds make bold claims, but they don't follow through. But that's not true of you. God has brought you here. He has heard your confession. He has heard your praise. God is speaking to you. God will feed you. God is your father, and he loves you as his child. And another aspect of the children of God is that we, in fact, are children. There's a beginning to life as a Christian and progress as we mature. When you were born, you were a baby with much potential, but most of it unrealized. And in the years following, you learned to use your mind and body to walk and talk, to sing, to fight, and all human activity. You were a human being at birth, and that never changed, but your capacities changed until you began to act like other mature human beings. Well, when you were reborn as a child of God, you immediately had the potential to act like God, but it was unrealized. And now you are growing as a Christian, and daily you're becoming more like Christ. God is snuffing out your old sinful nature as he recreates within you a new godly nature. So it might be more accurate to say that the children of God are becoming a holy people. 
You should be able to identify in your life sinful patterns which used to be true of you and aren't anymore, or at least not as prominently. And this is, this is God working in you to kill the sinful impulses of your old nature and bring to the surface the holy impulses he has placed in you. So be encouraged. God has made you his child and is transforming you. This gives us hope that those sins which still torment us will in the future be put to death. Meanwhile, it makes sense for us to aim to live like the children of God. That's what makes sense. It makes sense to, to, to live true to who you really are. Tom Brady is famous for his carefully constructed diet and his meticulous training program. Tom knows that he's the best quarterback in the NFL, and he acts like it. Now, I don't know if he likes his weird diet or his grueling workouts, but he's a quarterback. That's how quarterbacks live, especially the good ones. You're not on, you're, you are not some insignificant creature who no one cares about. You're a child of God, and it makes sense to act like one. You might not like the spiritual workouts that are involved. You might not like resisting temptation, loving hateful people, serving ungrateful people, reading the Bible and praying when you're tired or angry or distressed. Uh, you might not like it, but that's part of the deal. That's what it means to be a child of God. And as you engage in these things, God strengthens you and you grow and you become more mature. And you know, there are going to be a lot of missteps along the way. And yeah, you'll commit from time to time acts of sin. All of us do along the way. But God is at work in you to make sure that you grow toward maturity. You know, God, God is... God is behind it. You know, it's not your idea. I mean, you weren't born. You didn't come out of the womb thinking, I'm going to be a godly person. <laughs> no. Uh, and, you know, and if you're someone who's really tried real hard, you'll find that it's not really in you. But God is behind it. God is making it happen. And that's our destiny. So don't live in the past. Your past was a past of sin and failure. Don't live there. Live in the future. Live in the future as a child of God. Third, the children of God possess great power. You're more than a human being. You're greater than the pinnacle of the evolutionary process. You're not the child of some tribal deity or a weakling god. You're a child of the almighty God, the creator and ruler of the universe. Your father has absolute and unlimited power, and you were born from him. Now, of course, your power is not absolute and unlimited, but it's substantial. You control the course of history and the destiny of nations, right? Do you think I'm exaggerating? Well, listen again to Psalm 149 as it speaks about the people of God. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and the two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Now, who binds the kings with chains and executes judgment on the nobles? The people of God. Which people of God? All people of God. This is something that has been given to God's children to do. We have the, a role to play in the, 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 the destiny of, of our community, of our nation, and of the world. Our acts make a difference. It's a big deal. That's what God has given to us, the power to bring down the mighty, to promote the humble, if we'll only use it. 
So the course of the pandemic, the war that's brewing in the Ukraine, the sexual exploitation that just seems rampant in our culture, um, the wokeism, which is an attempt to deal with that, the false religions everywhere, corrupt politicians. You, you, know, you don't like the politicians? Well, you could run for office if, you, if, if God calls you to do that. But you know what? All of us, every single one of us, can pray for God to clean up that mess. Donald Trump said that he would drain the swamp, and he didn't. But Christians can. You know, Christians can, in part, at least in part, drain the swamp by prayer by wielding that, that two-edged sword of the scripture everywhere we go. Now, there are many ways this power can be misunderstood, and we will touch on a few today. One, God doesn't grant us power to engage in silliness. You don't have the power to levitate the cat. Uh, our power is activated in service to God's kingdom. And two, God's power in us is not often as instantaneous, but that doesn't make it less real. Godly people on both sides of the Iron Curtain prayed and acted to bring down the communist governments of the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. Those people prayed for decades. And then, in a moment, those prayers were answered. It took a long time, but they worked. God heard those prayers, and he accomplished what they prayed for. Three, God's prayer power in his children is not often expressed in force of arms. The two-edged sword is commonly a symbol of God's word, and we exert enormous power as we proclaim the gospel everywhere we go. The children's rhyme is false. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Nonsense. Words matter. Words of God heal and hurt. The words of God exalt and destroy. We have those words. Let us unleash their terrible power to heal our land, to save our neighbors, and to change our world. Which brings us back to the beginning of our gospel lesson, where St. John introduces us to the eternal word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the true word, the original word, the omnipotent word, the word of salvation and comfort. And we, children of God, are made in his image, and thus each of us is a word. We're a word to our neighbors by our presence. We're a word in our communities by our holiness. We're a word for the world by our power. You are the hope of the world because the hope of the world comes through you. You comfort the hurting. You are the salvation of the lost. Do not doubt your true identity. Go into the world to comfort and to conquer with Jesus. And now I'm going to tell you a mystery. Salvation is not a package that God delivers once and done. Salvation is a new life. When Jesus comes to us, he forgives our sins. He attaches us to himself so that we're bound up with him. He begins the process of growth. And to grow healthy, we need to be fed regularly. And God provides the, the nourishment that we need. And today, God is serving you a two-course meal. <clears throat> We just had the first course, God's Word in Scripture, and in a moment God will serve us the second course, the bread and wine. Now, here's the mystery. As we hear God's Word and eat His Supper week by week, Jesus mystically comes into us, and we grow stronger and stronger, more like Jesus year by year. This is not something that you can see or measure, it's a mystery. 
But that doesn't make it untrue. It's the mystical reality of eternal life in mortal children of God. So, come with energy and excitement of hungry children to receive Jesus in the supper. Lord God, thank you for making us your dear children. We are overcome by your wisdom and generosity and love. We never would have thought of this. We struggled to grasp what you did. We thought you came to make us good. We struggled to be good. We pester each other to be good. But instead, you made us your children, and you love us as your children. And we have the promise of overcoming sin as we grow. But, Father, we keep forgetting that we are your children. Help us to remember. Help us to remind each other. Help us to follow Jesus' example and plunge into the world so that our presence will brighten this dark age. Make us holy. Teach us to wield our tremendous power with great humility and wisdom and courage for your glory and the salvation of the world. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, who was born to make us children of God, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please rise. Now to him who loved us in life and loved us in death and loves us forever, the Son of God who has made us his brothers, Jesus Christ, with the Father and the Spirit, be all glory and praise in heaven and earth and everywhere.